This is the Small Moves Podcast with your host, Jason Hertzberger, episode 23. The more you explain it, the more I don't understand it. From Mark Twain. Man, I need to take that advice more. You're listening to the Small Moves Podcast. Small steps for big progress. With your host, Jason Hertzberger. Your Your next step starts now. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Small Moves Podcast. I'm so glad you're here today. I really appreciate you listening to the show. Today's show is brought to you by Audible. Audible is the world's leading source of audio entertainment, and I've been a subscriber to Audible for ever. I can't tell you how many books I listen to every year, but it's north of a hundred. I'm a huge fan of the Audible platform. One quick book that I would recommend to you is Daily Rituals. Um, I would usually give you a quick description of the book, but it happens to come up in conversation during my interview today, so I'll leave the description to the side. But Daily Rituals, along with any other book that you might want, is available to you as a free download from Audible using a free trial that you get for being a listener of the small moves podcast by going to smallmoves.co forward slash audiobooks. smallmoves.co forward slash audiobooks. Now back to the show. Today I'm interviewing Gail Maccabee. Gail Maccabee, who also goes by her pen name KG Maccabee, is an author. She is a fiction author and has written north of 30 published books as well as countless other words. She me- she mentions it in the interview that she has over 2 million published words um, written right, right now in her career. Uh, she loves writing. This, wo- this woman loves writing more than almost anyone that I've come to meet. That really comes out in the conversation. I really had a ball with this one. Uh, Gail is a Scottish girl from South Carolina, a funny combination. Granted, her family came here 300 years ago, but anyway, still a Scottish girl at heart from South Carolina. And she just has a really great take on life and on writing and is incredibly well read. Um, And it comes out in conversation that that's sort of the number one trait that she sees in all good writers is that they're also all voracious readers, but she does not stick to any one particular style of writing. Like many writers that are out there, like pulling straight from her website, she writes science fiction, fantasy, steampunk, horror, mystery, young adult, pulp, adventure, suspense. Like she hits a lot of different boxes. Not to mention the fact that she lives in a 200-year-old haunted log cabin down there in South Carolina, which is kind of a funny has a funny story to it. So I'll uh, I'll let her tell that story herself, but I really hope you enjoyed this conversation with Gail. I really did, and I really hope you do as well. Without further ado, I bring you Gail Maccabee. Here we go. Hey, this is John Lee Dumas of EO Fire, and you're listening to the Small Moves Podcast, small steps for big progress. Let's prepare to ignite. Gail Maccabee, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Jason. Delighted to be here. Mm. No problem. Yeah, so we, 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 were, talk- we were talking before the, um, the, the show and uh, I just want, wanted to give the audience a little bit of a background. Out of goofy curiosity, before we, before we get into too too much about your background, uh-huh. you you live in a two hundred year old haunted log cabin. Tell me a little bit about that. 
doesn't everybody? <laughs> literally, it <laughs> literally it's it started out as a single room log cabin with a loft back in 1817, built mm-hmm. in and literally, and it's it's a lovely old thing. We had some uh, people come in, the uh, southeastern paranormal investigators, and they set up all their equipment, their um, sound recorders and ran fiber optic cables everywhere and temperatures and this and that. And it was amazing. They were running around saying, you have ghosts. I said, well, yeah, (laughs) sure. Of course we do. It's a 200 year old house. There's plenty of people who have died in here. I'm sure. Actually, there was a, there's a spring out back and the, the, the historian who came in with them said, I'd like to know where the spring is where the woman was murdered during the revolutionary war. I said, well, there's a spring behind the barn. I assume that's it. So, pow, we're haunted. Yay. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. Well, anyway, <laughs> that's hilarious. Okay, so my uh, during during the introduction uh-huh. of the show, people had heard a little bit of – sorry to jump right in there. I just thought that was a hilarious story. Um, the the audience heard a little bit about your background during the introduction Uh but I want obviously you know yourself ever so slightly better than I know you. For the audience, you know, uh, Gail and I were introduced by a mutual friend uh, and fellow author down there in South Carolina, John Kirsch, and he connected the two of us. And he just thought it would be a really interesting conversation. You've got a re- really cool background and something that I like. I find really interesting. But obviously, you know yourself better than I. So give, give the audience a little bit of a little bit of background on yourself. Sort of what is like? What are you doing? How did you do what you're doing? What on earth is it that <laughs> what, you know that that makes you love South Carolina so much? You know, let's 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 get after. Okay, it. South Carolina. <laughs> first of all, a beautiful state. Have lived here all my life born here. My my um, ancestors came over here in the 1700s from Scotland. So been here a long time. It's a beautiful place. Uh, I grew up the descendant of mill workers because this was a big textile area. Uh, I'm the first okay. generation to, went to, co- to go to college. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a degree in industrial electronics, and I worked in a silicon wafer plant for quite a while, maintaining and installing and modifying equipment. So I have that kind of hands-on techie ability. You said, but at the same, you time, said sil- yes. silicone wafer plant. Sil- wafer, oh, silicon oh, wafer. wafer plant. Okay. Yes, Sorry. because that's what they use to cut up to make uh, computer chips. Mm-hmm. So we designed the basic stuff to make computer chips. Super but cool. always, always I've loved reading and I wanted badly to write. And when I was in my early 40s, I thought, well, I can wait till I retire and see if I can get published or I can quit what I'm doing and give myself a couple of years and see if I actually have any talent and then go back to work okay. if I don't. That was 20 odd years ago, and I'm still writing, and I still haven't gone back to work. Although, really, writing is pretty hard work. It is. Yes. It is. As, as, I, as I was uh, launching the Small Moves podcast, just uh-huh. following, following everybody's advice, I was like, you know what? You also need – like, you also really want to have a blog as well, and <laughs> – writing just it's like it's like pulling teeth like uh, what did, what did kurt vonnegut say it's like whenever i sit sit down to write i, I feel like a quadriplegic with a pen in my mouth <laughs> like i think i think that was kurt von i'm pretty sure that was kurt vonnegut that I, said it that. sounds like, like the, it. i i didn't understand i'd heard that quote before but i didn't understand what on earth he was talking about until i tried to write 
a blog. I yeah. So I don't I don't understand the trait, but God, I he's like I appreciate it. Um, <laughs> Harlan Ellison said, "Writing is easy. You sit down in front of the keyboard and open a vein." <laughs> so there you go. It is it is not the easiest thing in the world, and you have to have a passion for it. You have to love it, and you have to want to do it very very badly. And even then, it doesn't make it doesn't guarantee that you're going to be good at it. Again, practice. Ray Bradbury said you need to write a short story a week for a year to see if you're going to be able to be a writer. God. Yeah. <laughs> what is the de- what's the definition of a short story? Short story generally uh, between – I always think of it as something like between one and 7,000 words. Uh, longer short stories might go as high as 15,000. Then we're starting to get into the novella range. Got it. Now, is that is that what you started out doing with, with short stories, or did you just get straight into your books, the ones that I saw on Amazon? I, are there now. I did uh, because I didn't really feel confident that I was going to be able to write a book. So I started off writing short stories and submitting them and getting rejected and you know, lather, rinse, repeat, that same kind of thing. You know, you write, you send it out, you pray to God somebody's going to like it, and then you start writing again because you don't dare wait to hear back about that story. You should have at least a couple of stories written in between submitting. Oh, I'd imagine. Mm-hmm. I would imagine because, I mean, I, I I know nothing about the publishing industry, but the, on, the only thing that I can imagine about it is you submit something and they'll let you know sometime in the next two to three years. Like, it, it's not it's not like it's something it's like okay yep we got it we'll let you know by the end of the week i um, i would assume it's probably not like that but feel free to correct me if i'm wrong <laughs> it is exactly like that of course now it can vary if there is an an, an e-magazine or something like that and they like your work i have literally heard back as quickly as a few days i have also gotten responses as you said years later when i've already published the book somewhere else because I'm not really patient, and if they don't get back to me fairly quickly, I will send that puppy out somewhere else. Now, is is there is there an industry? I mean, educate me a bit as someone that knows not, nothing about this, and for the audience as well. Like, is is there a an official way of submitting to potential publishers? Is there just sort of a unspoken etiquette that you don't submit to? more than one at the same time like what what, what is that what is that like you mentioned you know you, you're like you don't you don't like to wait you go ahead and move on to the next one is there something that says that you shouldn't have submitted to 15 <laughs> places at the same time like is there a kind of a standard to that or how Every does that work? publisher will have a guidelines page a submission page and they will say either no simultaneous submissions or and and some of them will say if you submit to us and somebody else and, and elsewhere and somebody else wants it, please be kind enough to let us know so that we won't be, you know, possibly deciding we want to publish you when you're already published somewhere else. So there's a, it's a broad range um, because it takes so long to hear from some of them. Uh, I have seen people say, well, I'll submit to five, 10, 15 publishers at once. What is the worst that can happen? Sure. Two or three of them will want your work. Oh, oh gosh, darn. That's horrible. But oh, well, yeah, okay, let's do that. Yeah, so, yeah, sure. there, there have always been 
certain guidelines, certain rules, but they've changed as so much else has with the internet. I would imagine. Yeah. Yeah. I, ah, man. Like I, I'm just imagining, I would, I'm just imagining just sort of the, the hood spy should say of, of making, putting that, putting that demand on people. It's like, okay, you can submit to us. Don't you dare talk to anyone else until we go ahead and make a decision. Oh, by the way, you will hear from us sometime in the next 365 to 700 to 770 days. You know, it's just, um, excuse me. I'm sorry. Do I, who are you to tell me what I can do with my independent work that you don't own? What, what, what are you? I'm sorry. Like, is, is that, is that particularly common anymore? Or is that sort of an old standard it, that it, seems to be going it away? Has like, definitely, do, do, it is definitely going away. It is something that, that at one time okay. was, was standard industry standard, but not anymore because just as you said, how dare you hold on to my work for a year until you make up your mind when I might find someplace else that likes it right now this minute. So yes, yes, absolutely. It's sure. changed. Yeah. Cause you, cause you, you hear, you hear those, you hear those stories all the time of sort of those diamond in the rough books that, you know, the, like this, this book got, this got, this book got turned down by 26 different publishers until the 27th one finally picked it up. And like, what, and and when I hear that being on the outside looking in, when I hear that, I'm like, okay, well, he sent 27 emails and he got 26 responses back that said no. And one said, yes, big deal, I guess. Like what, what's, you know, what's the big deal you got turned down. But like, if, if that was sort of the standard at the time, then submitting, you would have to submit one and then wait and then a second and then wait and then a third and then wait all the way up to in this particular one book's case you know 26 and then the 27 one finally hits but i i, I if that if that was the industry standard at the time then that makes that feat a hell of a lot Absolutely. more glorious at least in my opinion but if if it's you know if the publishers don't necessarily have that standard it's just okay submit it to everywhere now and whoever responds but anyway, the the first one the first one that I've heard of that responds back exactly, is the one exactly. that gets it. <laughs> and that is pretty much the new paradigm in publishing. You just send it out there to, of course, you do your research. You don't send a paranormal romance to a place that only publishes kids' books, naturally. It is all on you to do your sure. research. But there are any number of publishers who may publish what you write. So you do your research on them. Are they legit? How long have they been in business? What kind of track record do they have? And you winnow that down to a specific list. And then you just sort of like mass submit to all of them. Got it. So the, uh, of the books that you have, you, you have, how many, how many books do you have that are published at the moment? Uh, well, my own books that are just, I counted, I counted 30 on, I counted 30 on Amazon before. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that's probably pretty close now, but, but realize that quite a few of those with my name on them are anthologies with other people's work in them or collections of some such. So there are also some magazines, some of it, some of them are short stories. So, and then Smashwords, I think I have 50 odd over there, but a lot of Smashwords again, are short stories, novellas, collaborations with other people. So I really, when anybody asks me how many books, it's really hard for me to define that 
without these kind of caveats, but Mm -hmm. I have literally had just under 2 million words published. Wow. Yeah, I was I was impressed when I counted them up myself. <laughs> Whoa, that's a lot of work. Now, of course, that means it, that I have written probably three, four, five times that because you... I was going to yeah. say, it was like, you, it was like you, you, you've written 200 million words, but you've actually only published uh-huh. two, two, million, yeah, two, two million words. So that that's yeah. to me, and, and you know, you can divide that up any way you want to, but... Uh, sure. Yeah. Sure. Now, um, in the you, you were mentioning about sort of how the how the internet has affected publishing. Have you of of the books that I saw of the mm-hmm. ones that I saw that were on there on mm-hmm. Amazon? Like, do you do you self publish your work? Do you do are all of your books published through a traditional publishing route? Is it is it a, is it a mix? Like how how do you how do you sort of tackle that aspect of I guess this is your business. Like, how do you how do you sort of tackle that aspect of publishing? What we call it, what we call it today in today's publishing, you are either traditionally published, which you know you go to a publisher, you wait two years, they might take you. You are self published, or in my case, it's what we call hybrid. Some of my stuff is traditionally published, some of it I publish myself, and so so it's 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 all across the range there. Okay, now is that is that an is that a result of just age and time? Meaning the, your first 20 books are traditionally published and your last 10 were self-published or were, were you sort of a hybrid model going back the full? Time? I started off being traditionally published, not being aware of the, of the, well, back then there was the stigma of that only very bad writers would uh, self-publish yep. because you know they couldn't get anybody else to take them on, and that was that was a stigma mm-hmm. forever. There were all the vanity presses who said, "Yeah, for five thousand dollars, we'll we'll print your uh, ten copies and you'll be published, officially published." published. Yeah. And there've been a yes, and there've been a lot of uh, a lot of scams like that over the years too. I started out being traditionally published by small presses because it's not just Random House and Simon and Schuster there are hundreds of small presses and medium-sized presses that are still looking for work so I started sure. out with small and medium-sized presses then I found the options of self-publishing for things that I simply was either shorter than what somebody was looking for or I was just really tired of all those mm-hmm. all those stories piling up on my computer and I wanted to get them out there and start having people read them so it's again it's it's a blend it's it's a, again the hybrid publishing a little of this a little of that throw in something else and here we all are now it's a, it sounds it sounds like you you've you're again not just necessarily a novelist you've written on a, on a lot of different topics something that i noticed on your website was the fact that you hit a pretty healthy amount of genres with your writing that doesn't sound like most authors most authors seem to tend to have a particular niche or a particular interest like you when you think when you hear you know young adult or you hear about horror or you know, science fiction, whatever it is, you know, it's, it's the same author writing the same book or the same type of book, pretty much their entire career. You don't see too much straying from that. Like what, what, what is it that, what is it that kind of fuels that variety in you, I guess? Like what, why, like what, what gives you, like what gives you the confidence to, to write with, you know, with, to use the term authority, I guess, but to, to write with authority on, 
such a relatively wide range, wide spanning. Um, yeah, we call we call it cross genre because I don't write specifically in one genre, and I think bec- because okay because I read such a wide range of things and love to read such a wide range of things. Uh, I love I love history. I love mm-hmm. science. I love. Uh, pulp magazines from the 30s and I love you know horror and if I like a genre then I immediately have this desire to write something in it and and not all of them are as successful as I would like but um I really enjoy doing it and I think it's good to I don't know work those muscles you know, stretch a little bit instead of saying, I write romance. That's all I ever write. I will never write anything else. Got it. Now, for, for that, out of curiosity, you, you mentioned if you if you read something, then you have sort of the urge to write about that thing. What what exactly is your – I mean, it's like I'm, I'm going to take somebody that is at, seems to be as much of a scatterbrain as I am and ask them, Therefore, what is going to be an impossible question, which is what exactly is your writing process? Like what it sounds like, you know, the, it, it doesn't you don't sound like the type of person that, you know, you come up with an idea for a book and then you go out into the cabin by yourself for eight months and then you come out and then poof, there's your book. Um, and then you go on a drinking bender for, you know, six months to a year, and then you come back and to the cabin and then do the next book. That doesn't sound like you, but it might be. That, that whole Hemingway thing, that. right? <laughs> you stay drunk, you write your book. Yes. Yeah, um, the whole, yeah. Literally, for me, writing is a craft. Uh, I don't have to wait for the muse to strike or wait to get inspired. It's literally butt in chair, hands on keyboard. You, you write... Um, Mm-hmm. It is really, it's, I just never have been able to say, okay, I'm inspired by something. I have read so much in my life that I imagine my subconscious as being this really weird swamp with all these bubbles of story ideas coming up all the time because I read, I read science fiction. I read fantasy. I read old stuff. I read classics. I'm a big Dickens fan. Uh, I like Gilbert and Sullivan, you know, um, it's just Asimov and Heinlein, you know, are are just literally godlike to me. And then again, Stan Lee and Marvel Comics, there again, what a brilliant group of of characters. So all all those things just kind of sit in your subconscious and, and bubble around and these these ideas just pop up and they're a little bit of this and a whole lot of that and maybe something else. And, and I really do feel it's impossible to describe your, your own particular creative process. It's there. It happens. Okay. Let's move on to something else. (laughs) Sure. Funny. Yeah. I, and it's, and it is, it's so dramatically different for everybody. everybody. And I've, I've mentioned I, I've mentioned before about a book that I read that is called Daily Rituals, mm-hmm. and I'm I'm not sure I'm not sure if you've seen it or heard about it, uh, but it's it's basically it's kind of like one of those profile books where you it it picks a particular type of person that it wants to highlight, mm-hmm. and it it finds a sometimes small, sometimes large bunch of people that fit that category and do just sort of like a one to two pager per person, just to sort of profile a person or a trait or whatever it is. Oh, I see. And 
and daily rituals. It was it was fascinating. It was absolutely fascinating for me. I think you'd probably really appreciate it being being one of these people. Uh, da- daily the the concept of it is it talks about how artists work and the concept behind the book is it's got a one to two pager on a hundred and sixty one different artists painters Mm -hmm. philosophers you know scientists astronomers whatever whatever it might be about sort of what are those daily things that they do that just kind of keeps them in their zone and doing their best work all the way down to the amphetamine uses and everything <laughs> along like alcohol and amphetamine uses of everything. Picasso's mm-hmm. in there, Hemingway's in there, you know, Karl Marx is in there, Benjamin Franklin, like it's an incredible, it's an incredible compilation, but it was just so amazing to hear the variety of the, the uh, when you're listening to this this one section where it's all it, they're all writers it's like well these people are all writers and they're all human that you would expect to find some sort of where's the purple thread like where's the thing that what kind can, of what connects ties them, them all together them be writers and there isn't a goddamn exactly. thing in that book that 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 brings one to the next it was a ama- it was really amazing uh-huh. to see because you know, being being somebody that likes to look for commonalities and look mm-hmm. for patterns and like I find the hunt for those things interesting so I was just listening one after the other after the other and outside outside of liberal use of alcohol and amphetamines and cigarettes outside of those three things didn't really see much commonalities like it was re- <laughs> it was. Uh, it was it was pretty it was pretty funny to see, but that was that was. Really I would suspect that they would have used alcohol and amphetamines regardless of whether they were creative artists or not. I don't think that necessarily links to so the true. whole mystery of creativity. We all like to make things and tell stories, and you know, we, I can just see us sitting in caves a million years ago saying, "And then what happened?" Ugh. What happened? You know, you were out, you were hunting, and then what happened? We always like to tell stories. Mm-hmm. And yes, we all are. We are. Yeah. Humanity loves to tell stories. And some of us are able to uh, to turn those into little black marks on a page. It's amazing. Now, you, you, you mentioned that you obviously, you also like to read. Yes. <laughs> what, 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 got, what got you into reading when you were younger like did, were you did you did you always like to read or was that something that was more of an acquired taste later on later on I can't life? remember not loving to read I um one of my earliest memories is my dad reading a a Batman comic book to me and I was just so eager to be able to to read it myself that I just aggressively went after reading and and literally I was reading like Jules Verne and and science fiction in the third and fourth grade because because I loved it so much. To me, reading is slightly less important than breathing. Slightly, very slightly <laughs> less important than than breathing. And, and to the transition into writing is is almost, I think, automatic. I think if you're a passionate reader, you want to be able to tell those kinds of stories yourself. Mm-hmm. What was what? What do you what do you read now on say a like? Do you? I I would imagine you probably read every day. It sounds like you read yes, something absolutely. every day. Like what what what's what what comprises the lion's share of your bookshelf? 
now? Oh. <laughs> like, what is it that you're reading? Oh, you mean my, my to-be-read pile that's that's tottering beside the bed and is, you know, going to crush me one day. That one, right? Uh, <laughs> that, that one. That one yes. I have certain writers that I love to read over and over again. Um, in science fiction, it would be Heinlein or Asimov or Roger Zelazny. I like... I can read, I've read Lord of the Rings probably five times all the way through. Right now, I am reading uh, this awesome new book that just came out. It's called Slugfest. It's about um, Marvel and DC and their, and their kind of uh, the controversy between them uh, starting in the 30s, in the 40s and the 50s, the early comic book days when DC was the, you know, the a uh, thousand pound elephant in the room and, and Marvel was running around getting the crumbs sure. and how that transitioned and changed and what made that change from DC being the big guys to Marvel being the big guys and DC trying to catch up. Just fascinating. So his history of comic hmm. books and the pulp writing in the, in the thirties and the twenties, um, HP Lovecraft and Robert E. Howard, um, Lester Dent, one of my, one of my heroes, I just got a new, um, uh, and and you've never heard of him. Be honest, you've never heard of Lester Dent. I have not. There you go. In in 1933, a pulp magazine called Doc Savage started, written by Lester Dent under a house name of Kenneth Robison. He was writing for Street and Smith, one of the big publishers back then. He wrote a 60,000 word novel once a month for for, for um, 19 years. All yes, all during oh the depression. God made extremely good money for someone in the depression and to me that kind of output and to to be consistently readable with that kind of word count month after month after month is just astonishing to me so and i read i read history i'm especially fond of british history of any kind um, I read all the time, Jason. <laughs> and I, why, why, why particularly British history? I'm, I'm not really sure. I think it's just the movies I've seen, and I I admire the accent, and you know I have Scottish blood, and we spent two weeks in Scotland last year. It's just I don't know for some reason that fascinates me. The and and I, I love it. I love it. And it. There's so many interesting people, certainly in the Victorian age. Uh, Sir Richard Francis Burton, the explorer and linguist. I think I have seven different biographies of him because when you read a biography of someone, the author's bias comes through. And so you have to read a variety of, sure, of, of biographies about a specific character, a person to be able to make up your own mind, to gather all the information and be able to make up your own mind. So I read a lot, Jason. <laughs> sure. <laughs> <I> do. <laughs> not, not, not the worst, like we say, not the worst habit in the world. Yeah. Yeah. Could be worse. Could be amphetamines and drugs and, and alcohol, but I don't do those. So it is my drug. So true. It's my drug of choice. <laughs> mm-hmm. My, um, out of curiosity, are, are you, are you much of a Mark Twain fan? Uh, the, I, I, I ask because that seems to be, an interesting litmus test among mm-hmm. authors, like they either lo- love or hate sort of a relationship with Mark Twain. Like, what are you, what are your thoughts? I love me some Mark Twain. He had an incredible sense of it. humor. I've read every book he's ever written, probably some multiple mm-hmm. times. I've got yes. hit the all three volumes of his autobiography sitting in my, I'm actually right here in my office. I'm looking at, I'm looking at them uh-huh. right now. Like that, that man's view on life stated like it, 
stated in the first person as he mm-hmm. did his, this autobiography. Mm-hmm. This autobiography was flooring. I'm not sure if you've had a chance to come across his autobiography I yet. I have it indeed. And oh. I love, oh, he was, he was a 21st century man in a 19th century body. He was born. Yeah. He was born in the yes, wrong century. Absolutely. Yes, Just, it, and if, and if anything, if any, if any book doesn't signify that more than Connecticut Yankee and King Arthur's court, <laughs> I don't know what does. I don't know what does. He forecast, he forecasted modern warfare. Like he forecasted modern warfare and in the 1800s. His attitudes toward really technology incredible. and that kind of snarky sense of humor. I, you know, there is nothing about Mark Twain that I don't like. Fascinating, fascinating writer. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, I, I, I totally and a, a Southern agree. boy totally too. Agree. Let me point out, so, a good Southern boy. That, that is a, remind me, remind me where he's from. He hopped around so damn much, especially once he hopped on, especially once he ho- started hopping onto steamboats. Where was he originally oh, from? Gosh, now I'm trying to remember. I don't remember. Was it See, Missouri? I, I know somewhere along the uh, Mississippi River, I'm sure. And the, have you read his Roughing It when he went out west with his I've read, yeah, I've read Roughing It. I love that. <laughs> the, it's like, what, what was the uh, life, life on the Mississippi? Was it, life on the Mississippi. Life, on the, life mm-hmm. on the Mississippi and innocent, the Innocence Abroad are my two by a pretty Oh, pretty I, oh, yes. Yes, yes. Innocence Abroad is one of my absolute favorites. His, his attitudes, um, Again, he's such snarky humor. I know it's wonderful. And with him being being in Europe and all and all the other places he went to, and his his descriptions of his fellow travelers and the people he ran into. Mm-hmm. Again, he was way before his yeah. time. Yeah, I agree. He's like, and audience, please do forgive us for going a little little fan, <laughs> fan fanboy and fangirl on Mark Twain there, but that's uh, but I don't often find too many people that have also read Mark Twain, so I had to, had to commiserate just a bit. But anyway, more people need to read Mark more Twain. People absolutely more people need to read do. Mark Twain. Absolutely. And I just yes, I just do. looked it up. He, I just looked it up. He is he is originally from uh Flor- looks looks like Florida, Missouri. So yeah. Uh-huh. I was thinking Missouri, yeah. yeah. So anyway, but back to it. What when when did you what was the first thing that you remember writing? professionally like i'm i'm sure you wrote i'm sure you wrote in school everybody wrote like everybody wrote in school either either badly or otherwise Uh, (laughs) it's like everybody badly or otherwise but Uh uh-huh what what was the first thing that you wrote that you would say would be a professional piece of writing for you um a short story a fantasy short story with death and destruction and and murderous uh priests and uh it was called with murderous intent in fact it was the very first story i ever sold and i it sold it to a, a canadian magazine called challenging destiny and i thought this is pretty good because i always i had some issues actually finishing something because when you have a lot of ideas bubbling out you'll 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 start them up and then another one will bubble up and it will be really cute. I kind of describe it as if, if you're at a bar with your, with a boyfriend or girlfriend from, from that you've had for a while. And this really cute guy across the bar is kind of winking at you and saying, well, you want to come over here? The, uh, the boy you're with is the story you're working on now. The boy across the bar is that new one that sounds like it's going to be so much more fun than the one you're working on now. And yet 
we know he's not going to be. He's gonna, And so I had a lot of issues with unfinished things. So the okay. first thing I literally finished was a, was a, a short story called With Murderous Intent, uh, a dark fantasy. And I submitted it to uh, Challenging Destiny. We ha- I had a lovely relationship with them for a while before they went out of business. It was a nice little print magazine. And I think they ended up buying five or six of my short stories over a space of a year or so. But I felt really confident about that. And even though I had submitted it elsewhere and had it rejected, it was really nice for them to say, yeah, this is good stuff. We'll take it. Got any more? Which is, of course, what every writer wants to hear. Sure. Mm-hmm. Now, now, out of curiosity, did you did you sort of find them, or did they find you, or how 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 did that relationship come about initially? Again, did you you do your research? You look for markets. You go to if nowhere else, Google and say uh, fantasy short story markets, and then you research those, and then you start submitting. Now you say you say markets. markets. What do you mean by markets? markets? Are they willing to buy your work? Are they willing to buy your product? So that's what the they are. That's what a magazine or a publisher or anything like that. They are markets for the product that writers turn out. Okay, gotcha. Mm-hmm. So for so for somebody that's interested in I don't know right writing short stories about you know not not too distant mm-hmm. future sort mm-hmm. of. I'm making this up like not too distant future military fiction or whatever it might be or war fiction or whatever it might be like that. That's something that they just sort of Google and say, Absolutely. you can literally it, narrow like, that down. If you're like, writing, say space opera in the 22nd century within the solar system and you go looking for something like that, or if you want to go gal- galaxy wide, you go looking for that. There are market, kind of clearing houses there's one called a sub, called submission grinder you can go and enter your um your genres your word count and it will it will spit out a list of markets of publishers magazines that are looking specifically for what you're writing oh wow what, what is that called uh there's one called submission grinder there's also one called literarium I-U-M, Literarium, and there are quite a few others, and they literally are just simply um, free clearinghouses. Uh, uh, Publishers submit their information there, and you go and you just go looking. You know, it kind of narrows it down instead of just doing a broad Google search or something. You can... uh, Sure. These these are really handy. There are quite a few others, too. Some of them are paid, uh, and some of them you have to pay to, to, uh, to search their database, and some of them are completely free. Got it. Mm-hmm. Got it. Now, which, which of the do do you use any sites like that now? If so, like what sort of your go to one or two? Would it be the two that you mentioned? Or yeah, there, those are the ones. Are I'm, others? That those are of- ones I'm using right now, and and they're very useful because you can narrow your the narrow it down to something. Say, I write something that's um, um, a Lovecraft pastiche. And, you know, H.P. Lovecraft, again, one of my favorite writers and who wrote for the pulps back mm-hmm. in the in the 30s, 20s and 30s. Um, there are literally markets that are looking to recreate what he created, the whole Cthulhu mythos. And if I decide, oh, I've got a good idea for something set in H.P. Lovecraft's world, let me go and find out if somebody's looking for that. And, pal, there's horror, Cthulhu mythos, Lovecraft. Oh, good. Somebody's looking for that. That is so interesting. 
And it's yeah, a, it's and a, of course, we're. Mm-hmm. Worst comes to worst, you say, well, I can't find anybody who wants to publish that. Then I'll just self-publish it. Now, how easy is that to do today? Like, is that, oh, like the, that's, that's the question. That, and when, when you say it's so funny now, because when, when people hear the term self-publish today, mm-hmm. you know, me, mm-hmm. meaning November, 2017, when we're, when we're recording this conversation, like yes. when people say self-publish, they say, oh, you mean put it on Amazon? Like, <laughs> that as your, if that's that, the first thing that most people say as yes. if that's uh-huh. the first thing and the only option and we're, i mean we're uh-huh. we're ha, where do you um i actually i'm gonna want to corner you on something really quickly but i'll 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 get to i'll get to that in a minute but when it, when it comes to self-publishing when you say self-publish what do you mean self-publish do you mean finding a printer yourself printing a bunch of copies of your book yourself holding them and then taking orders yourself? Or do you mean just putting the book out in digital form on Amazon and then being done with it? What do you mean when you say self-publish right now? Sort of all of that, actually. Self-publish, if I have shorter works that really aren't worth going into into print with, uh, a short story or novella, uh, Smashwords is a wonderful market. It's a self-publishing Um, I guess they're just a massive publisher themselves, but you can download their formatting guidelines, format your story, create your own cover and choose your price, put it up there and you can, uh, your stories can be bought at Smashwords or they also distribute to Barnes and Noble, uh, iTunes, Apple Store, four or five, that's kind of automatically in their process. So if you publish your work at Smashwords, it will go to all these other places as well. You choose was, your own. Was mm-hmm. Amazon Kindle was Amazon Kindle on there as well, or is that a, is that a separate platform? What you do is you upload your work in uh, Microsoft Word, and they will format it into Mobi and PDF and all these other formats that these other places need. They do format it in Mobi, which is what the Kindle reads. Got it. So, okay. but they do not. But Amazon it does not have um, an agreement with them, so your stuff will not literally be on Amazon. It will be on Barnes and Got Noble it. and some of the other places, but not at Amazon. But it is in a format that someone with a Kindle could download and read on their computer. Got it. So, and and also, it sounds like Sm- Smashwords will spit that ver the, spit that format back at you so that you can turn around and have it in that format ready to go if you absolutely want to submit directly absolutely to okay and if you want to go print if you have your own novel and you want to go print well there's uh there's create space certainly which again is an amazon uh company but literally you can um, upload your file to them design your cover and they are what they call print on demand they will not send you 5,000 copies unless, of course, you order and pay for them. But if someone wants to order your copy from Amazon then and you have it at CreateSpace, then they will print off that single copy and send it out to whatever. You get a percentage. They get a percentage. You're self-published. Hmm. I know it's amazing. I, it's a brave new world, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, that's a, that really is amazing because it it, is. it's so funny. When, when you hear when you hear you know when you hear the war the war stories mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. You know, previous generation authors that said you know it took me it was like it took me fourteen years to get the first book published and you know when the, when this then when it was published we had to buy the first ten thousand copies and it's like oh my god where the hell where the hell are we going to get the money to get that many books mm-hmm. out and da-da-da. I'm like. 
oh my god like literally i can type something now i can type something up on my computer yes click you know send it over here like type something up on my computer which is free Mm -hmm. like send it over to here which is free and you know then you send then you it goes up on this website and someone pays pays for it and they they pay 19.99 for the book and 10 bucks goes to you the author 10 bucks goes to amazon i'm making up numbers Uh of course uh um and it it spits out that one book and there you are you're 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 a published author with a single book in circulation like that that just that blows my mind the difference between like the the stories that you used to hear versus versus what the reality is exactly exactly there used to be of course vanity presses taking advantage of authors saying again you know pay us fifteen thousand dollars and we'll send you some boxes of books without any sort of guarantee about distribution because what those vanity presses do not provide is distribution amazon on the other hand fears your distribution if you're published through amazon or through create space your book automatically goes up on amazon for sale so the distribution and again it's, it's 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 it is an amazing time to be a writer it is now that that be, now that being said, you know obviously writing. Well, let me rephrase that. Writing is no easier than it ever used to be in the past. It's still it's still it's still you know mm-hmm. Chinese water torture for the for or or it's not depending on who you are. But so the writing the writing part aside, publishing books is a totally different world today. Absolutely. Than it used to be. Here here here's mm-hmm. a question for you. How how is it worse? what's not good about what we're seeing in publishing today compared to the ways that it used to be. It can't, like it can't, I'm not talking from mm-hmm. an inside perspective. I don't know. You, you're, you're, you're a professional author. It can't all just be upside. Something has to be lost in the mix. What is that? I thing? think the fact that the gates are down, there are no gatekeepers. Anybody can publish anything that it is easy for quality work to get lost in that sea of words. I really do think so. Anybody can go to Smashwords and publish anything. Now, say you go to Smashwords, okay. you you see some interesting things, you download them, they're not what you were looking for, it's probably going to leave a bad taste in your mouth and you might not be likely to go back and get something else. Uh, again, that's it. Because mm-hmm. back in the day, other than the vanity presses, the publishers, the agents were, were, you know, again, gatekeepers. They were kind of looking through the stuff and making sure that at least a certain amount of quality was coming through. Now that's all gone and stuff just mm-hmm. is just everywhere. We're deluged in words. Yeah, it's a. Yeah, it's interesting because it, you and I. I think about that because you know what one of my, one of my best friends is a history is a history professor mm-hmm. and uh-huh. a published author as well, and uh, he he used to be here in Maryland at one of the one of the state colleges, state universities here, and he mm-hmm. just got a job working for our friendly friends of the U.S. Army out there in uh, for in uh, Fort Leavenworth, but the. In t- in talking with him about it, it's so interesting the perspective of self publishing and sort of how it's viewed. Where mm-hmm. if you're part of the old, if you're part of the old guard, yes. If a if a book is self published, oh, yes. <laughs> only and, the 
those <laughs> those people those it's- people self-publish we don't do that but that was the that was the case and like you said it was a stigma that was a stigma for quite a while and then some top shelf publishers started to realize top top shelf publishers mm-hmm. started to realize wait a second i'm leaving millions of dollars on the table yes by not just putting this thing out myself on amazon so highly reputable authors started to self publish so then the trend started to go the opposite direction not necessarily mm-hmm. i mean obviously mm-hmm. in in the in the world of academia you know peer peer reviewed journals are still you know the peer reviewed work is still peer peer reviewed press is still peer reviewed press you know and that's still there and that obviously still has its own cachet within the world of academia but with in the general public now whether you're published or self-published it almost doesn't sound like it matters if you if you if you talk to the average joe on the street it's like i read this book oh well it wasn't a simon and schuster book what the hell do i know we don't ask who the it's publisher like, who the hell? do we we don't care about the publisher it's like, it like who the hell yeah, it's like who the hell do mm-hmm. I know? What do mm-hmm. I know? And like I read a book. It was a good book. Where'd it come from? I don't care. But it, but it's so interesting now because it that because now, like you said, there's also the problem that comes with that when people realize, oh, you know, this person is self-publishing. I guess I could sit, write a self-published book too. And then now everyone now everybody's an author, you know, and that's something that that's an idea that I've struggled with that my wife has struggled with. It's that, you know, everybody says, you know, if, if you're, if you want to be a type of person that produces content, you know, you really should write a book. It's kind of like today's business card. And, you know, the things that everybody says, I'm like, I don't like the sound of the fact that it's just, it's today's business card. Like, I think it needs to be more than just your business. Yes, you know exactly. what I mean? It's like, like your 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 writing should be you. It should be a piece of you. That like, guy, I, I don't understand the mentality of it being so easy to do that it becomes such a commodity that just oh, it's like it's like hey, I wrote a book last last year. Oh, so did I. Oh, so did I. You're standing around a bar like everybody that everybody that's sitting at the bar wrote a book last year. And it's like oh. so it, it takes a lot of the value away yeah. from that. Yes, exactly. And of course, there have been, yeah, there, there are yeah, writers like, nowadays that you hear about too, who who start off self-publishing, build a readership, and then the big publishers mm-hmm. come knocking on the door saying, hey, I see you've got this many readers on your own. You know, we'd like to offer you a contract and take, you know, take some of that money away from you, basically. <laughs> It's funny. I mean that that's happened. Yeah. That happens with bloggers. I like I I know I know several bloggers like like, like people that have highly successful fo- like large mm-hmm. and successful followings mm-hmm. as a blogger, and they get approached by publishers. It's like, hey, this is the na- let's take the name of your blog and turn that into the name of a book, and let's write you know, let's get you writing a book, and we'll publish the book for you. You know the same thing. The same thing happens with other podcasters that I've that I've encountered. Yeah, it's just it's it's so interesting it's, it's how an that interesting happens. Flip flop um, of the old way of doing things. It's very very twenty first century. Yes, now you write, you publish yourself, you get the readership, and then you find a publisher. As opposed to going to a publisher, they publish it and hope you get the readership. So it's it's an interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it is interesting and and it's one of those things where like i i mean i i inherently always question the motives of like the large scale publishers and really any of the 
artistic realms because realistically they're publicly traded companies or owned by publicly traded companies where it's their job to make a profit damn damn to the art whereas you know right writing and music for that matter is really an art i heard i heard an interesting i heard an interesting story on a podcast that i was actually just listening to this this morning this is kind of a funny funny timing um where they were talking about the music industry and how the music industry in in the olden in the pre-youtube you know pre-youtube when art when in the gatekeeper world of music of music where people would have to they would have to get signed bands would have to get signed by a major label otherwise their music would never be heard from by anybody outside of the local coffee shop that's it no questions no nothing like you had to get through those gatekeepers and then that was it and as that as that shifted and once the once the whole napster controversy happened Mm -hmm. you know when that really first started coming down to the pike and instead of trying to embrace the digital format and sort of partnering with the napsters of the world you know they just the 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 record labels started to push back hard legally with all of their force against that and that just ended up sort of being the death toll to that industry. So now they're doing something new, which obviously, which when I heard, when I heard that this is what the music publishers are doing, it's as of this morning, it has completely changed the, how Mm -hmm. I'm going to be listening to music from this point forward. Basically, you know how in today's world it's shifted to from, from really buying first, the transition was from buying Mm -hmm. CDs, or buying full albums to when you're buying digitally, you're buying individual songs. And now you're not even, there's not as many people buying individual songs anymore. It's now people are um, just simply subscribing to the Pandora's and the Spotify's and the, whatever the on-demand streaming music services, you know, Apple, Apple has one, YouTube has one, you know, then there's Spotify and Pandora and whatever, whatever. Turns out that the record labels now as they they have the ownership of the they have the rights to use the music that these artists make and then to pay the artists whatever percentage of whatever they get for their music they're now striking deals with the streaming services where the record labels are acquiring ownership percentages of the streaming service businesses in return for giving away the rights to the music for next to nothing. So the artists are effectively making nothing like are making next to nothing from, from that work. And the record labels themselves are gaining an extraordinary amount of wealth because they're adding extreme value to the streaming services while owning now owning a percentage of these companies and the artists are getting cut out I was mortified when I heard when I heard that that's what was going on. I just I deleted I deleted Pandora from my phone as soon as I finished listening to that podcast, and it makes me wonder. It does. It makes me wonder about like is that is that what's happening with is that what's happening with publishing of books as well? You know, as, as you know, you're start you're starting to see services from say Amazon and not necessarily just Amazon. But you're starting to see these services yes. where it's, hey, subscribe, you know, pay this subscription service and you can borrow books and read them and get back to in. You don't pay for that particular book. My question is, you know, from an author's perspective, 
is that the publishing world starting to kind of do the same thing? And like, how, what's, what's that future going to look like for, for authors? Like, I, I don't know if you've got a perspective on that or if that's something that you've seen in the industry and or seen coming for a while, you know, what, what are, what are your sort of thoughts on how, how that's going with regards to like with books going almost exclusively digital, you know, really at this state, at, at this stage, the, the, the old joke is, you know, bo- books are like the new art. Nobody needs them, but they look nice. You know, it's like people, people like to have the room with the big room with the big wall of books that they've never read, like, because they just kind of look nice. It's kind of like art. I mean, where is, you know, where do you think that that, where do you think that's going from the side of the, uh, the authors and sort of their ownership of their work? And I don't think that's necessarily a new thing. If you, if you look at the history of publishing, which really dates only back to the like mid to late 1800s, the author has always made way less money than anybody. They are creating the product, but they, uh, if you look at the pulp magazine in the, in the 30s and the 20s, the off, the writers would make maybe a quarter of a cent a word or a half a cent a word, while the publishers were putting out you know, maybe 40, 50 different titles a month and raking in the money. Comic sure. books the same. If you look at um, the if you're writing for the house, none of your creations belong to you. And if you look at that, you see that a lot with um, uh, some a lot of the artists, Jack Kirby and stuff, uh, Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster who created Superman, they sold the rights to DC for $130 in 1938. $130, which of course they split. And it took, yes, and it took years and a lot of controversy and a lot of fussing to get them at least a tiny percentage you know, to, I think one of them was already dead before, before they actually got through that to actually get some of the incredible amount of money that Superman has made over the years. So it, it's, it's always sure. been like that. And you see authors, um, I was, when I remember reading Michael Crichton, who wrote Jurassic Park, and he was talking about doing the research when he wanted to become a writer as opposed to a doctor, which is what he was. And according to him at this time, which would be late 70s, 4% of published writers were actually making a living at their writing. All the rest of them had to have a, a day job, a side job, a part-time job. Yes, sure, exactly. And I don't know that that's necessarily changed very much, but it will be interesting to see exactly how the the um, signing up and, and you get, because I see a lot of those and, and uh, there's... Um, Serials are getting very popular too. You know, you put out, uh, say, a chapter a, a, a week, and uh, that kind of ongoing, almost like you know the the old serial movies back in the in the forties. You know, where you have a cliffhanger ending and come back next week to see how we escape from the whatever. So it's 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 yep. impossible to say exactly how this is going to go because everything is in such a state of flux right now it's it's a whole new ball game for so many people so it's hard to say exactly what's going to end up but it's amazing how often artists historically end up not only not owning their creations 
Yeah, I mean that that gets all all the way back to Leonardo da Vinci. I mean, like exactly. You talk, you talk to it's like I mean, he basically didn't own any of the things that he's famous for now. Mm-hmm. It's like the, yeah. these are all just either little just little sketches in his like either little sketches in his book, but all of his work. Mm-hmm. Like if we're not necessarily talking about his notebooks, but it is his work. It was mm-hmm. all just it was it was patronized work for others. I mean, this this isn't yours. This isn't. Like he creates this work, it's like, oh well, that's Leonardo's work. Great, but it's mine. So mm-hmm. you know, it's like, it, yeah. it, like it's mine. So I, I can, you know, I'm the one that sells it to, for five million dollars, and I don't have to pay anything to the, you know, the Leonardo da Vinci Historical Society of mm-hmm. whatever, whatever. It just they don't own it. He doesn't own it. Sure, it belongs to me. I paid him a buck fifty an hour to paint it, and he's, <sighs> you know, that's all he got. But it's mine now, exactly. And and historically artists pretty much get screwed yeah <laughs> but then again then again one of the one of the great analogies that i heard is like the the time of the time of leonardo da vinci was also the age of de medici the time of elizabeth was the time of shakespeare mm-hmm. like it, mm-hmm. it's interesting it's interesting when as societies tend to cycle through like a an emphasis or a de-emphasis on the arts in their culture how it's interesting when there is an emphasis on the arts in their culture there also happens to be a significant social and cultural expansion yes happening at the same time yes. it's a, it if you look at if you look at history it, it happens over and over and over and over again that those two things coincide. It's a, it's such an interesting phenomenon to see. And it doesn't mean that there there were no artists in between those times, sure. but that literally they had to do something else to be able to eat and survive. They couldn't make money off of their art. So artists are everywhere and always have been, but you're right. It, sure. it's, it's the culture and the society, whether or not they're supported or disregarded. Yeah. So for so let let's 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 make a little pact. You you and me right here okay. now. Let's let's start let's start the next cultural revolution. Uh by doing yes. <laughs> by by you know it's like I was like I've always wanted to start a yes, cultural I have. revolution. Not, I haven't done like, that this week. Yes. Like not, not 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 so much not so much the Maoist type, but you never know. Anyway, um for people that want for people that like the idea of writing but just don't really know where to start like i know like we said at the earlier earlier conversation about your own process and what we were mentioning about that book daily rituals there's really no one way to do it but for somebody that wants to write how should someone st- how should somebody do that like is it a, is it as simple as just tearing out a white sheet of paper and a pen and sitting down the, sitting down by yourself with music playing in the background and just stream of consciousness and just sort of see what happens because like there's how would you recommend somebody that isn't a writer start to write i mean you're actually a better case study for me to ask this question to than most other people that i know that are writers because you write a variety of things you're not just you're not just for example you don't just write horror novels like you mentioned you know like i just write romance novels and that's it you're where if i ask that person the question is like well i can tell you how to write a romance novel 
this is how you do that one thing where you you're you're broadly speaking you are a writer how can somebody start writing that that thinks that they might want they might have a, a short an idea for a short story or one of these serials or even a novel or even if it's not necessarily fiction even if it's nonfiction, like they have an idea for a book or they have an idea for a blog or they have idea like how would does one start right like how do you recommend for people to start uh, writing that haven't done uh, it did you hear the i'm sure you've read the mark twain quote where he said that um, lawyers and doctors have to study years to learn their craft, but you give a man a pencil and he thinks he's a writer. Have you heard that one? <laughs> a lot of people think they can write because they, uh, I don't know, took English in high school. I'm not really sure what, but it's, you have to, it's a craft. You have to practice it. You have to read a lot to see how other people convey ideas and describe things. You have to read a lot of different things from really good stuff to crap and see how they do all that. And then it's literally, you have to write every day. And it's good. It's a good idea to have someone who is, who is not your mom and will tell you, yes, that's wonderful, honey. But someone whose opinion you trust to look at your work and say, okay, this is good. This is not so good. And again, that's a hard person to find, too, because there are people who like to cut you down, who like to give you destructive criticism because maybe they'd like to be writing themselves and you're doing it and they're jealous. So they'll tell you how horrible it is. Mm -hmm. And you don't want people who will say, this is wonderful. You're doing a great job. So but literally it is literally butt in chair, hands on keyboard. You need to write every day. And then you need to submit. When I, when I teach writing classes, I say there's all, only four words you need to become a writer. Read, write, submit, repeat. Because when you submit something, you're going to get some kind of feedback. Either no thank you or this is not quite what we're looking for right now, but we would, we would like for you to submit something else because we like your style. But um, so many people these days, you know, refer back to that, give a man a pencil and he thinks he's a writer and they will literally string some words together, say, yes, I'm here. This is good. I've written something and self-publish it. And so we are drowning in a lot of things that are not necessarily mm-hmm. of good quality. But I just, I think there are as many ways to become a writer as there are writers um, Somerset Mom said that there's three rules for writing a novel. Unfortunately, nobody knows what they are. Uh, Ray Bradbury said, don't <laughs> think, write. He said, don't let your conscious mind get in the way. Sit down and write. And the more you do it, the better you're going to get at it. Just like the more you uh, dance, the better you're going to get at it. Or the more you, uh, whatever, any kind of sport, the more you do it, hopefully the better you're going to get at it. It's, you know, it's almost muscle memory sometimes. Do it and do it some more and then do it some more. Do you do you keep a journal? I do not. I tried that, okay. but I just don't. I know a lot of writers who do. I tend to, okay. I tend to, yeah, I, was, yeah, I have piles I of notebooks yeah. with story ideas, but I don't have journals. No. Got it. Okay. Well, that, that conceivably that could be the same thing. I guess, I guess it sort of depends on what you, 
define as your mm-hmm. journal. Mm-hmm. Like the the like the, there, there's a, there's some people that I know that that keep a journal where they just talk about very much like your writing mm-hmm. style. It's like, we can kind of be whatever it is that you want it to be. Mm-hmm. Sometimes some people I know have like, there's this neat little product called the five minute journal uh, that I heard that I heard about, which is basically it's a set of five questions that you answer right when you wake up in the morning. And then there's another set of five questions that you answer at the end of the night, right before you go to bed. And it's just, it's meant to take five minutes a day, basically is the concept mm, of it. it. Really, really neat idea, but it, it, it helps you, it helps to sort of hone how you can articulate things about your day to yourself. It's actually pretty interesting, but then there's also like morning pages and stuff, stuff like morning pages where you just write three pages full of just, gibberish stream of consciousness whatever comes across your brain um so no journaling journaling can be whatever it is that you want and from from my my understanding is to do, doing something like that can help at least it helped with me in the past maybe not necessarily with my writing but it helped me to be able to communicate more and that's really all writing is is learning how to communicate better it is it is and 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 developing that habit of doing it every day so you see how useful that is okay you've written this many words a day well you know you can do that so let's transition into something else now and then i think for me that's not a good idea because well there are people who plot their books and then there are people Mm -hmm. like me we're called pantsers we write by the seat of our pants we basically just Start something and see where it takes us. Uh, Philip K. Dick was like that. He said that if I know where my story is going next, my my reader is going to know where my story is going next. So I'm going to just sit down and start. And he did pretty well, you know, with uh, Blade Runner, you know, do androids dream of electric sheep and some other things. <laughs> uh, the man in the high castle. He didn't know where he was going. And I that for me is the way I write. But I know plenty of people who do these detailed scene by scene outlines. Cool. I'm amazed by them. And I'm not worthy to be in the same room with them. But I can't write that way. Now, do do you um do do you write at all? Like, do you type up everything, or what's your process? Do you write longhand, or at any stage, or do you type then print and then do a first edit in longhand? Like, how do you? What's what's your process? Uh, I started off longhand, and then I as soon as I got my first word processor, I thought, "Wow, this is cool," and um, I it, I type. Straight to the state. You screen. still call it a I word know, my, processor? No, I had a word processor. <laughs> I literally had a word processor, like pre-computer, honey. <laughs> and that's what I—that's what okay. I wrote my first stories on. But now it's just you know it's straight on the computer now. Uh-huh. And uh, my editing, um, I, I set things aside for a while and come back to them with fresh eyes. And it's amazing how things will just leap out at you, like you said what here and you did you really mean this and of course having a a beta reader or a critique partner or somebody who can read over your work and and point out issues that's always good too oh of course um all right so the 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 last real question that i had about about your writing process it was so just a review for a second it sounds like for people that are listening if they want to start writing start start writing find a good <laughs> start and mm-hmm. start yes. reading like pick a good book 
pick a good book from an author that you think mm-hmm. you might like or you know even if even if it's you know if if you haven't if you haven't read much 90% of the movies that are out there are yes. based on books pick a movie pick a movie that you like go back and get the book and read the book of that movie and then little secret you'll forever hate the movie for the rest <laughs> you, of your you've life noticed that, just so you? you know yes it always happens yes it always it always happens. happens. It always ruins the movie. It always ruins the movie for me. But that's okay. That's a small sacrifice. The so yeah, go go back and just re- read a book of a, of a style that you would appreciate, and then just give it a give it a shot. It's like whether whether it's just w- starts with just journaling or writing something in the genre of the book that you chose to read. It sounds like those are some some mm-hmm. some great initial mm-hmm. steps. And don't be afraid of it too, because. Uh, you don't even have to show it to somebody, not the really bad stuff. So it's okay to mess up. It's okay to not be really good to begin with. But I think a lot of people tell me, well, I'd really like to write a book, but, and, and they'll say, I like, I'd like to write a book, but I don't know where to start. Well, start when something's changing for your character. Uh, start with, don't start at the beginning because we can't, Dickens did that, but we really can't do that anymore. Start in the middle of something and see where the story takes you. See where the characters take you. Start where you start Mm -hmm. where you are. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like, and, and, you know, don't necessarily wait for creativity to hit because you don't know just right. And eventually, eventually your creative juices will kick in. Like I remember Mm -hmm. uh, John McPhee, who's a, um, a well-known writer, but also he's a, he's a, writer of uh, art um writing t- professor mm-hmm. at uh, mm-hmm. princeton university up north and uh i rem- i'm pretty sure he was attributed with this quote and where, where he said it's like i is like i write whenever my creativity hits me it just happens to hit me every day at 9 a.m yes <laughs> yes <laughs> again you train yourself you train your brain to say okay here's we're turning the you know it, it's like you don't want to go to a doctor who says, I just don't feel like doing surgery today. My yeah, mood not, is not here. Yeah. I'm just not feeling it. You'll have to wait till next week. Yeah. No, it's a craft. Yeah. You learn how to do it by doing it. Yeah. It's like my, my, my elbow. It was like my elbow just like my arm just got severed at the elbow doc. Um, yeah. I'm not feeling it. Can I'm you sorry. come I back just, tomorrow? Yeah, I I'm just, sorry. I just just, I just, I'm not in the mood. I'm sorry. I'm, just I'm not, not in the mood. mood. Like, I, I'm just not, I've, I've got, I've got surgical block. I, uh-huh. You know, could, could we come back and try this again tomorrow? Uh-huh. Exactly. No. exactly. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. No, I think that's, I think that's a pretty solid place to wrap up. The um, one question that I have for you that I ask to, I ask of all of the guests uh-huh. on the show, getting, getting back to the concept of small moves and, finding small little things that people can do that can have a pretty big impact over time given time what purchase have you made in recent memory of a hundred dollars or less that has had the most dramatic impact on your life it could be it could be a a writing program like scrivener or something along those lines that just sort of makes writing less distractible or easier for you it could be so a a software program that helps you interact with your publishers to get you paid quicker. It could be it could be anything. Like, but what? Uh, and it it can be subject specific. It can be about your writing, but it could be about something completely different. It could be, you know, the Google Home thing that finally has this haunted house, you know, 
this haunt, haunted house that you live in finally turning the turning the lights on when you tell it to it could be anything um can you think can you think of anything that fits that bill let me go back not quite so recent but um i bought a copy of harlan ellison's dangerous visions anthology and um good stories in it lots of them won you know hugo awards and nebula awards good stories but for me harlan ellison's descriptions of the writers and of the writing craft he was so passionate and so inspired and loving about what he was doing for a living and i thought that is what i how i want to feel about what i do for a living i want to absolutely love what i'm doing and be excited about what i'm doing every day day to day and not be and can't wait to get back to my computer so i can work on that next story idea or that next paragraph or that next bit of dialogue to me that is how i want to live my life loving what i'm doing and being you know enjoying so much what i do and the whole creative process and that to me started that idea going in my head that you know i really need to be a writer because that is how i want to feel about what i do so lovely book by the way dangerous visions Great stories, Dangerous, Dangerous Visions. Me. They were uh, stories that nobody else would publish at the time because they were just a little odd, a little weird, a little out there. And um, But again, the stories are great, but what I remember is the the one-on-one -on -one conversation that you were almost having with Harlan Ellison and getting to pick his brain about how much he loved writing as a craft and what a joy it is when you're able to get into that and uh, – and create the creative process is such an incredible thrill and that was it that is awesome mm -hmm. gail i really appreciate you coming on the podcast been this fun. has really been great loved it uh now for anybody in the audience that wants to find you mm -hmm. or read your books or what it, or just sort of come online and say hi uh when where is a good place to find your books and where's a good place uh, to find my you website is kgmaccabeebooks.com i write as okay. kg maccabee k period g period maccabee that is literally my name my initials and yes i did that before jk rowling did thank you very much but uh <laughs> and <laughs> i'm at amazon smashwords Barn barnes and noble all those cool things and um all over okay. the place. Find me. Wonderful. Gail, thanks again for coming on the show. Been fun. Thank you so much, Jason. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Small Moves Podcast. I really had a great time chatting with Gail today. I hope you guys really enjoyed the conversation as well. Really quick before you take off, if you wouldn't mind heading over to iTunes or Apple Podcasts, if you have an iPhone, and leaving me a review on that platform for the show. Leave me an honest review on there. iTunes is a search engine, a glorified search engine that helps other people find the show. And one of the things that it relies pretty heavily on is the number and quality of the reviews that are on there for the show. So that would really help me out if you wouldn't mind doing that. And also go over to the community Facebook page at smallmoves.co forward slash community. And let me know what you thought about the conversation with Gail today. Thanks again for listening to this episode of the Small Moves Podcast, and I will talk to you next time around. You got this.